Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Samantha Milner with us, and she just moved from, I think, Portugal to the UK. Is that right, Samantha? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so Samantha is basically the starter, the founder of Recipe This, um, a website you might be familiar with. Why don't you go ahead and tell us how you have made this your job, your career? Okay, so RecipeThis.com is a food blog and it focuses around teaching people how to cook with kitchen gadgets. Think instant pot, air fryer, slow cooker, soup machine, that kind of thing. And I started it with my husband, Dominic, in late 2015. So it's kind of five, nearly six years old now. And we started it because we used to do what a lot of people do these days, which is freelance for clients, manage sites for clients, manage people's social media, like Pinterest and things. And it was always a hard slog because each day you're starting again and, you know, it wasn't very passive. And we wanted to build our own because we found that quite a lot of the time, the clients were not very appreciative of yourself. Like when you work for an employer or you're in the corporate world, it felt too corporate and we wanted something that was our own. So we decided to start from scratch and build our own food blog. And thankfully, we had a lot of experience in SEO and social media already. My husband worked for more than 10 years as a chef as well. So it was just the perfect thing to be involved in. I am actually kind of curious because, um, you know, the Instapot and the air fryer has become such a huge thing. Even in the pandemic, um, people are really turning to that. I'm going to pull up my phone right now and see if I have saved one of your recipes uh, before. Do you actually post recipes or usually just the tips and tricks of how to use some of the gadgets? We are, we are mainly recipes, though we do do some of the how-to and the tips, but we're trying to do more of the how-to and the tips. But you end up, oh, I must post this recipe. This recipe is really good. People will love this recipe. And you forget sometimes to do more of the how-to. I feel I, like I definitely have used your, your site before. I just am not sure if I've saved them as like a bookmark. Uh, go ahead. Keep going. I I was looking the other day when I was updating my stats for the year and I realized that we've already published about 200 recipes so far this year. And we're kind oh, of wow. recording 11th of August, aren't we? And that's like, whoa, I've done 200 already. My target's about 350 for the year. So we're on target. So just about one a day generally. And it sounds like you're ahead. <laughs> Yes, yes. I do like to do themes every now and again. And I find that the themes can alienate some of my readers. So when I do a theme, I'll actually post twice a day so that I can have a theme running for 30 days as one of the posts a day and then do my normal content for the second post of the day. And I found that those have had the biggest growth for me of the years. I don't do them very often because it's very, very time consuming to get two posts out a day do all the social media for it, do all the newsletter for it and everything else. But I'm definitely, uh, now I've moved to England and I've got access to more kitchen gadgets, I think I'm going to do a few more of those. But those are the hard work. So Samantha, do you, or Sam, I know you go by both. Do you, are you from England or the UK or where are you from? Oh, I'm originally from um, East, East Yorkshire in England. Okay. And 
we uh, we moved abroad because when you work from home you can work anywhere and at the <laughs> sometimes time we weren't yes sometimes and we weren't food bloggers and we weren't relying on produce and I don't know whether you're aware of it in America but um, in in Europe there's such a thing as Brexit when England left Europe and it became a lot more difficult to, to source ingredients you know you're paying customs now on everything and mm. all of a sudden it's really not worth being in Portugal and that's one of the main reasons why we moved back and we moved back Friday last week so <laughs> we're very much new you know I my office isn't complete yet or anything like that you know it's just very much new oh my god we've just moved we've still got loads to do kind of thing how long were you in Portugal 13 years Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, that's a long time. So you were sourcing things still coming from the UK. And then as soon as Brexit happened, it made it more difficult for you to get things in Portugal. So you decided to come back to the UK in order to be closer to all of the things that you were used to? Yes. Yes. For example, I'd use the same brand of frozen, not frozen. What am I talking about frozen for? Uh, brown rice brown rice I had my favorite dried brown rice that I used to buy and dried beans as well I used to get them shipped from Amazon UK into Portugal no problem we did pay a lot in postage for them but they were very good and you know since Brexit there's nowhere that could does organic healthy gluten-free dried produce like that you know there's a we can't get the air fry brand that we've used for years because Portugal's air fries that they're on are the same ones that came out in 2012. You know, they're still okay. behind. You know, so it's just been a lack of produce that we've had and gadgets. And it's like we're getting excited over being able to get fresh parsnips because <laughs> you can only get them in Portugal at Christmas. And oh. when you can get them at Christmas, they've been transported from England. So by the time they've got to us, they're two or three weeks old and they're looking a bit minging and you just kind mm. of have to peel them and hope they'll taste all right. You know, it's like when you see supermarket fruit and veg and it's had it's past its best and you're thinking, should I buy it? Can I save it? It's kind of like that. Mm. You say you're playing that game every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. So. I use parsnips in one of my soup recipes and I'd be pretty sad if they were only available at Christmas time. Wow. Me too. Me too. It's summer, not exactly parsnip season. And I can't stop eating them because I've missed them so much. I keep putting them in all sorts of strange dishes as well. And my husband will start eating and say, you put parsnips in this, haven't you? <laughs> They're like big white carrots, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they, they work kind of like, you know, there's, yeah, they work kind of like a carrot would in a lot of things, I guess you can, when I grew up, they would grate carrots and put them in our jello. Um, they would try to hide carrots and lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> so you just made this big trip home and your kids how old are they like were they raised in Portugal their whole life well our children are age four six and almost 20 okay so my eldest one he um he moved to Portugal when he was six almost seven and now our daughter is returning to England at the exact same age as he was when we moved into Portugal, which is really, really strange to have got the age spot on there. 
you know. Interesting. But, and did your 20-year-old come with you home again? He's almost home due to quarantine rules. He's currently in a hotel room at Manchester Airport and mm. hoping to be with us soon. We're picking him up on Saturday and we haven't seen him since the beginning of July. So it's been six weeks oh, wow. without, our, without our eldest. We're very, very excited to see him at the weekend. I'm curious, as you've been going through this big process of moving from one country back to another, have you been working during this time or were you able to set things up in motion so that they would be, you know, I don't know, scheduled out so that you could just focus on moving? Well, my my blog content, I um, I can't remember when we got it all up today. I think it was kind of mid-June. So by mid-June, I think we were covered until I think about the 3rd of September. It gave us July and August off from writing content. And, you know, it's a blog. It's all about the content and the SEO. Therefore, you know, our content comes first above everything. And we needed to make sure that it was going to flow and there was still going to be new recipes or updated ones going Mm -hmm. out a minimum of four to five times a week. And we did that before we left. I think the biggest part of it is actually getting them written up. And I didn't, my husband schedules them for me in WordPress whilst I write them. So I pass them to him in a load of Microsoft Word files and then he does them. And his part of the job wasn't quite done. So while we were in a quarantine cottage in the English countryside, I said to him, there you go, darling, there's, there's the last of them that haven't quite gone on the site yet. And he finished his job there. And then apart from that, we've just had the main admin kind of management side of things to deal with, you know, comments that have come into the blog, dealing with all our emails, making sure our team's happy and they've got their work, um, keeping up to date on social media. So all in all, I would say that we've been running the site on maybe uh, four or five hours a week at the moment throughout July up until now. And I think now we're going to be going on to about four day a week again for the remainder because the school holidays here are are different to America. We don't go back until um, about the 9th of September, you see. Right. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota in the north. And so they had that calendar where we would do it after our Labor Day, the first Monday. It would be the day after the first Monday of the month of September. Um, I'd have to look at a calendar to see what month, what day that is this year. But in Arizona, it's hot in the summer. And so we actually send the kids to school in the summer. And then we take a longer break in the fall, the spring, and then even at the winter holiday. So oh, it's very just, interesting. the USA has, <clears throat> pardon me, a hundred different schedules. It just depends on what your state and what your school district has decided. Yeah. All oh, right. I, uh, I actually thought that they all went back to school mid-August because there's always somebody moaning at me at this time of year saying, oh, I'm really, really stressed out because school's just about to go back. And I always yep. kind of forget it's their time. And oh, yeah. in, po- in Portugal, you know, you know, like parents say, what do I do with my kids for six weeks in the summer holidays? In Portugal, they get 12 weeks off for a summer break. They break that's up. What it, mm-hmm. That's what it was like 10th, when I was a kid. Go ahead. Yeah. 10th of June till about mid-September because Portugal is just too hot. Yep. You can't possibly send them to school when it's um, 
I think in your temperature zone, over 100 degrees every day from mid-June right through to late September. And it's just not very productive for them. Yeah. Well, um, they start even as early as uh, the end of July here. And again, you know, it's too hot, but here everything is air conditioned because our, our temperatures can get as hot as, um, like 50 degrees Celsius, uh, 120 degrees. Um, we've seen it like that, but on average about this time of year, it's 110 often um, today we have monsoon season right now. So it's been raining a lot. What about language? Did you all have to learn Portuguese? English is very widely spoken in Portugal. You know, it's a very tourist-led area. If you were in the countryside of Portugal, away from where the tourists are, I think it would be probably be essential. But our eldest does speak perfect Portuguese, and Portuguese is his first language because he's been in Portuguese education. Our right. youngest kids know a fair bit. But, uh, but myself and my husband, we know enough to be able to go down to a government office and deal with something or okay. go to the doctors. But I wouldn't say either of us was fluent. Did you say that your eldest, uh, his first language, I mean, obviously he learned English until, until he was six, but did they do uh, school in Portuguese or do they have international yes. schools too? Yes, he went to, there is international schools, but he went to a Portuguese school. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you couldn't tell him apart from his friends when they're speaking Portuguese together. Portuguese yeah. is his first language. Um, English, his English is really good. He just struggles a bit sometimes with some of the grammar because okay. it's not his first language. You hey, know, compared I mean... to some on the second <laughs> language, you know, and he also speaks uh, Spanish and German as well. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. We, um, I mean, honestly, even those of us who are native English speakers and even teach English, we still sometimes struggle with the grammar. I'm sure that I'm sure that some of my listeners have probably heard me, uh, bumble a few, a few words here. Now you mentioned a team. You said you're trying to keep, give your team the things that they need and make sure they have their work. What are you, uh, what team members do you have? Like what kind of, uh, tasks are they helping you with? Well, there's uh, myself and my husband and our eldest son, Kyle, and m- myself, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of feel like I'm the office manager sometimes because I'm the one that's in charge and saying we need to do this and I'm spreading out the tasks wherever's needed, you know, so I'm the one that's doing the market research, I'm the one that's planning recipes, I'm the one that writes and takes the photos, and my husband is more the technical Mm-hmm. I know a lot of women in business, the entrepreneurs, a lot of them, they pay a lot out to technical companies so that if they've got a problem, it's dealt with straight away and then they don't have to worry about anything you know, if the site goes down or whatever, or if a Are- plugin on the WordPress needs updating. So I don't have any of that to deal with because my husband does it. He loads the post onto the site. He does a lot, you know, behind the scenes. He's kind of the IT dude. But he was the chef too. So are you testing recipes yeah. in your kitchen or are you developing recipes? We, uh, we do both really. We're testing them in our kitchen. We're developing the recipes. You know, it's, a lot of them are quite easy recipes so they don't really take much of our attention. You know, we're in the air frying niche. People want to know how to cook frozen fries in the air fryer. You know, when you're doing those kind of recipes, you can do five or six recipes in a couple of hours. I have definitely, 
I've definitely Googled how to cook frozen fries in the air fryer. Like I know I have yeah. Googled that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody wants that kind of thing. So there's a lot that are uh, quite easy. And our readership, a lot of our readers are over the age of 80. They live on their own and they don't know how to cook and they rely on us to give them the easiest of the air fryer recipes. So we're obviously testing a few at a time. And, you know, my husband's a chef, you know, so it's, if he was in a kitchen, you're batch cooking lots of recipes. The same applies to us. We'll often do five recipes in one go, in one day. Like but we do, get all the chicken recipes done at once kind of thing? Yes. What we did, I can't remember when it was, I think it was early June, we have some KFC chicken recipes on our site and we're in the process of updating them now. What we did is we set up our production line and we did lots of different breaded chicken recipes in the same day. Mm-hmm. You know, you can then reuse the process shots quite a lot between the different posts and it helps organize yourself better. Oh, right. But my okay. husband's always there to help me. You know, he's much quicker with the, with the kitchen prep than what I am, you know, so I can pass some of that on to him. Like, for example, we were doing the KFC chicken and it's better just to chop up some whole chickens. I don't like chopping up whole chickens. I don't know anyone that really does. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he's quickly chopped them up for me. You know, he breads better than me because I'll leave the odd patch where the chicken looks bald when it's come out breaded. And he'll just <laughs> do, do that kind of thing for me. You know, if I need a hand shot. I'm uh, I'm always scared to death of those mandolins that people use to very thinly slice vegetables. I'm always convinced I'm going to cut myself on them. Mm-hmm. And we were doing some dehydrated fruit, so it's I'm actually well looking. You can do those. <laughs> I'm looking right now at the dehydrated watermelon, which looks kind of fantastic to me. I grew up loving watermelon. My mom is probably her favorite food. I would say we had it two times a day uh, when it was in season in Minnesota, but my husband hates it, so. Um, but my kids like it. I, I like dehydrated, dehydrated things, but oh my goodness, you'd have to lose a lot to dehydrate uh, watermelon. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that bad, actually. It was really nice. I really enjoyed it. You know, I, um, I never grew up with watermelon because England's not hot, you know, and I think the closest I came to learning about watermelon it's the scene from Dirty Dancing when she says, I carried a watermelon. That's the only thing I knew about a watermelon, you know. And then you move to Portugal and it's like, if you don't eat watermelon, you will die in the summer because the dehydration is that bad, you know. So that's when I got into watermelon. But prior to that, I didn't know anything about watermelon and I quite like it. That's really interesting. I just assumed that since I grew up with it, everyone did, but I guess it's kind of one of those things. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so basically you're not only cooking, but because of SEO, you have to write a blog post. And I know people are yes, like, just give me the recipe for crying out loud. But you, I mean, in order to get found on the internet, that SEO requires words, right? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. Yes. It very much does require words. You know, I'm going through and updating a lot of our old content because we've got content from 2016, which was an intro, a very small story, and then the recipe and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Whereas now today, you know, Google expects you to do a thousand words for a recipe, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, I've 
found that Google does reward you for those posts and they do like those posts. But what I like about your site is that you allow people to jump to the recipe because not everyone does. You've got that link that'll say jump to the recipe. (laughs) Yes, 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 I have. Yet you'll still get 10 people moaning at you, leaving one stars on your recipes each week, saying, um, complaining that too many words. The recipe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All they have to do is click jump to recipe. You know, it's not it's, it's not brain, is it? It was there you for know. you. Yeah. So you're not only telling a story. You told the Patrick Swayze, um, you know, and baby uh, the the dirty dancing recipe about the watermelon, and then you're talking about um, can you dehydrate a watermelon? Yes, you can. Why dehydrate a watermelon? And then you what happens when you, so you're, you're really educating people. So there's a lot of thought in how to cut a watermelon, which is, um, if you didn't yeah. grow up with a watermelon, it's not exactly intuitive. So <laughs> there's a lot of different yeah. ways to cut a watermelon. <laughs> there is, there is. And I've seen many, many tutorials and watermelon's not something that I'm really that interested in doing that many different ways because yeah. in Portugal, you just want it chopped into quarters and you want to go through a, a full watermelon in a, in a week. Because yeah. it's that hot, you need that. You know, we don't have aircon, mm-hmm. for example. Aircon, you know, tell it, me what that. Oh, air conditioning. Yes, we don't have any air conditioning. You know, so it, it can be it can be very difficult. So I'm glad I'm away from that heat now. Oh yeah. And you know, the watermelon it helps. You know, but dehydrating watermelon is a great way for saving it when it's out of season. And yeah. people love the different things that they can dehydrate. Mm-hmm. And then you said that your husband does the hand shot. So I'm looking at a picture of his hand, I think. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because that mean that you're the... Hold the camera. Yeah. Are you the photographer in the family then? Yeah, well, I, I'm not I wouldn't say I was good at photography. You know, I use um, an iPhone 11 Pro Max for my photos. And they do a fantastic job. I don't like digital cameras. I'm really not interested in learning about the photography. But at the same time, from a reader's point of view, I find that my readers appreciate having the step-by-step shot. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a lot of recipe sites, you just see lots of perfect images and no Pinterest. idea of how you got there. Yeah. 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 They're, they, they just look pretty, but it's usually just like the same cupcake from different angles and with different backgrounds and stuff. So yours are a little yeah. bit more practical. Um, the way we focused on the practical, we focused on the helping people like that. You know, our photography is probably not the best in the industry, but it's quite a lot better than other than our competition. Okay. And yeah. Then there's those in our niche, uh, our, our competition, if you like, that take better photos, but they don't have the step by step photos that help the reader. You know, so mm-hmm. we have that balance. I wish I could. I should go through my history and see if I can find where which one I've read. Probably something like how to do. Do you have one on sweet potatoes? Like how to air fry sweet potatoes? <laughs> yeah, we have quite a few on sweet potatoes. I bet. So you even in your recipe, you do include the pictures, but they're just like the bare minimum. Like this is what it looks like when you do this step, which is for someone who is eighteen and out on their own for the first time and making a recipe they've never done before. Um, I was calling my mom a lot when I first moved out. Now I can just use my phone in the internet. I don't, I mean, I'll find another reason to call her, but, uh, your, your step-by-step tutorials here are definitely, uh, making it easier. I think for a lot of people to get started on cooking. Yes. I think a lot of people find it difficult, but 
my audience is more your older audience and their problem is that you'll have a guy that's on his own he's been widowed his wife cooked for him for the last 50 years and he's never cooked in his life yeah and he just wants something simple that he can eat for dinner he wants to be able to do a quick pork chop in the air fryer with some veg you know some potatoes or something like that he just wants the simplicity of it I remember being 22 years old and having no idea, like literally no idea how to make French toast. And I think that it was just one of the things that my mom always did. And uh, my mom is an excellent cook. She grew up in a household where it was kind of a a throwback in time. She was raised in like, you know, the sixties and seventies, but um, they made everything from scratch. They made their bread bread from scratch. They made their soap from scratch. It was almost like a hundred years before they made everything from scratch. They were a farm family in a rural area and they were very self-sufficient in that way. When I was a kid, my mom would usually just have me store things and I could bake pretty well, but I I think that since she already knew how to do everything, it was just easier to do it and then just have me help rather than have me do it on my own. Um, maybe because of our personalities being a little different. <laughs> um, and so there's certain things I could totally do by myself and other things I had literally no idea. Um, and French toast was a little embarrassing because I was like, I thought everybody should know how to do this and it's easy, but um, it was like the day that I realized, wow, I don't really know very much. Well, I was, I left home at 18. Well, actually, I think I left home at 16, but I remember moving in together with my boyfriend, who's now my husband of more than 18 years, and um, I couldn't cook. I My mum was like, she was a very good cook, but she didn't have the patience to teach me. Same. And she would cook lovely homemade food for my dad, like homemade pies and that kind of thing, like yep. steak and kidney pies. And then she would give me a can of spaghetti bolognese that had been reheated in the microwave. You know, it was very much that kind mm. of that kind of upbringing, <laughs> or macaroni cheese out of a can. And she would ask me to peel some potatoes, and I would do a bad job. And I think mm. she eventually snapped at me and said to me, "You better marry a chef because you're terrible at cooking." <laughs> so, was your husband older than you? Like, did he already have these cooking, or did he go through school while you were together? He was uh, he was 23 uh, when we started dating. So he's about five and a half years older okay. than me and was already working as a head chef when uh, we got together. And he had the patience with me. I used to watch ridiculous amounts of Jamie Oliver to learn how to cook. And then I'd <laughs> ask my husband for advice. I'd follow Jamie Oliver recipes uh, out of the cookbook. And at the same time, I'd make terrible mistakes. Mm-hmm. And my husband would just give me a hug and say, this is how you should have done it. <laughs> I remember, because uh, <laughs> I was 18, come on, at 18, we're not really geniuses yeah. in the kitchen. I could bake very well yeah. because my grandma taught me how to bake. I could make perfect short crust pastry, or as you call it, pie crust. Mm. I could make fantastic scones, quiches, that kind of thing. And I was very good at making a lasagna. I could do yep. a great lasagna. Even now, it's my son's favorite food, and he can't wait for him. His mum back so she can make him a lasagna. <laughs> and yeah, I know. And uh, I remember my really bad moment was our first Christmas together. We got together in January, so it was nearly a year that we'd been together. Mm-hmm. And my husband was working Christmas Day, 
you know, because chefs, they don't get days off. Oh, and right. I said to him, fine, I'll cook a roast turkey dinner for the two of us. I thought it can't possibly be that difficult. You know, the roast potatoes, the Brussels sprouts. I decided to do the whole shebang. And should tell you which bit I failed on. The turkey? Was the turkey. Turkey, yep. yes. I actually cooked it upside down without actually realising that it's supposed to go breast side up. And the best bit of all, I'd left all the giblets inside it, not realising it had giblets inside it. Were they in plastic and or were they just yes, in there? Yes, they were in plastic. Yes, they were in plastic. <laughs> I, I tell you, the turkey tasted absolutely delicious. And my husband still, still laughs about it now and so do I. And a few years later, uh, I don't know, about three or four years ago, I was watching a Gordon Ramsay cookery show and he said the secret to perfect roast turkey at Christmas is to cook it upside down, breast side down. So I'm like, yay! <laughs> so it wasn't that bad. So it tasted well or tasted great and you didn't get sick. So Yeah, I didn't get success. sick. I didn't get sick. So yeah, I've just always concentrated on improving my cookery ever since. I've always had my head in a cookery box. You know, my, um, my mother-in-law, uh, she's not with us, um when she was young I think probably when she was about 16 through church school I think it was she was given a very old school big cookery book one that's very popular in England but you weren't have heard of in the US and it was massive I think we're talking 1200 pages no pictures you know the really old school type and yeah. I followed a lot of recipes in there over the years as well that I've really liked you know so you, you just kind of learn as you go mm-hmm. my my mother in that you know, rural community that they grew up, it was very German. And so they had um, a cookbook that I guess the church was a hundred years old from like 1870 to 1970. And they did yeah. a cookbook and I got one, I actually have two. So I have one I can pass on to my daughter as well, or one of my daughters, at least they'll have to share. I have two daughters. <laughs> um, but I mean, the, the recipes call for things that we don't generally use often like lard, um, not very common anymore in the U S uh, I have watched a little bit of the, um, what is the famous cooking show in the Britain, the great, what is that one called? Oh dear. British it's a big Bake Off, I think you're thinking of, aren't you? Yes. And the recipes are very different. Like when you said pie and you said kidney pie, like usually pies are sweet in the U S and so we don't have as many meat pies unless it's like a chicken pot pie. So yeah, there are some um, different traditions definitely from your your area to ours. <laughs> I noticed yes, that you do. Definitely. You have what the imperial. Yeah. Uh, what I oh. actually did that helped me grow my business, which sounds ridiculous, is mm-hmm. I actually hired this 75 year old guy from the US. He was from Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I hired him just to teach me about American cookery terms and American produce because I was getting more and more of an American audience. And he taught me about so many different foods and things. So I am pretty, pretty good when it comes to American terminology about food. Wow. Well, you said cookery book and we would usually call it like a cookbook. Yes, you would. Just little things like that. Yeah. Oh, it's like the zucchini versus courgette, the eggplant versus aubergine. There's um oh god what do you call it again uh confectionery sugar versus icing sugar there's mm-hmm. just so many of them you know it's yes. like we would never say chicken pot pie it'd just be chicken pie or 
England's oh. really into its pies. So it'd be chicken and mushroom pie, chicken and leek pie, steak and kidney pie, you know. And Australia is even more obsessed with the pies than what we are. You know, you mm-hmm. see how many different pies they have over there. They really do put us Brits to shame. <laughs> so I noticed that you use the imperial and the metric system and you can let people toggle between the two. Um, and you have the print version for your recipe. Do you have a print version without the photos? Yes, it automatically does it without the photos. Okay, so you if I go to print the recipe. Yeah. Oh, I see it. Well, actually, when I push print this recipe, it still does include the photos for like instructions. I think if you take, you've got to tick a box or something like that. Oh, there is remember. a box. I can take off the recipe images and even the instruction images. And I can adjust the the servings from two to four I can toggle between metrics so it starts on it starts on metric and I can toggle to imperial so yeah you really have thought of everything and it has the nutrition facts um yeah wow great I guess it's probably developed over the course of six years yeah yeah I think one thing that entrepreneurs get really really upset about is whenever they get negative comments I think it's such a big big issue for us all I I think we take our work so seriously and I think we get really really depressed if we get bad comments and what I've learned is to use the feedback and I'm always asking for feedback so that we can improve the system and I remember when I started recipe this I never expected to have an American audience because the air fryer at the time was only popular in England and Germany and and a bit of Australia. It really wasn't a worldwide thing. I remember thinking to myself, why isn't it a worldwide thing? You know, they've got their obesity problems over there, just like we have. You know, surely they would want something where they could make healthier food. And I'm assuming it must have been some sort of patent issues that caused it to take so long. So I remember when I first got an American reader that left a negative comment, it was on it was on some fried chicken and you know we had the measurements I think it was in milliliters and he said to me you know it was something like I think the comment's still on there now actually Uh, and he actually put something like um, if I'd wanted milliliters I would have gone to a pharmaceutical company or something sarcastic like that you know (laughs) and you're like just yeah, yeah. We didn't have imperial or metric there. Oh, I see. So it was okay. Just UK. So it made me realize that we had an American audience and it was time to offer both. So we used that constructive criticism, which was really sarky, I may add, to turn it into something else. And right. it's like recently I got really badly trolled a few weeks ago on a Facebook group when I uh, I shared a recipe for beef tongue. And I know a lot of people have an issue with eating the tongue of a beef, you know, and it started, it went crazy because there was people saying, shut your mouth unless you're going to say something nice. There's those saying, those just leaving the uh, yuck or sick emoji. And then there was ones talking about how much they love beef tongue. And it had gone viral. I think a million people had seen it (laughs) in the space of 24 hours. And you know what I took from that? I took from that that somebody had had messaged me with a really good idea for beef tongue that I hadn't got on the blog. That was a Mexican recipe 
that was very popular. And I have a feeling that most of those people that were staying young had actually had the Mexican version, but because it would have used the Mexican terminology, they wouldn't have actually realized that they'd eaten it in the first place. What would the Mexican terminology be? Do you know? I can't remember. It was uh, the Mexican name for it. But basically in Mexico, the beef tongue is very popular with tacos. So when, you, when you're in a Mexican restaurant eating beef tacos, there's a good chance that it's actually beef tongue that's actually been used to make those tacos. I, I'm trying to see if I can look it up. Someone will have to, to tell us. Well, actually, I think I found it, but I'm afraid to say it. Let's see. <laughs> Why? The pronunciations is so hard, isn't it, when you're doing the foreign language? <laughs> Mostly just because I'm afraid that someone will, will tease me about it. <laughs> we are yeah. afraid of the critiques, aren't we? But you've been able yeah. to use that. Did you have to go back and revamp all of your previous previous posts to update it to the Imperial option? We I, I, I can't remember when we started it. It wasn't that long after that comment, which would have probably been late in 2016. You know, and I think I mean, I'm sure we started 2017 by including them or 2018. But then we added a plugin on the system that automatically moves it from one to the other. You know, so we have okay. needed to. So nearly all our recipes and our recipe cookbooks are now in both. Yeah, a one and, and done. OK. Yeah, yeah, a one and done. But, you know, it, it's not always perfect because sometimes, you know, I don't like cups. I really don't like the American cup measurement, you know, because I don't feel like it's 100% accurate, especially when you're dealing with baking. And I prefer the fact that when these metric to imperial measurements do it on our site, it does it more into ounces and pounds, um, you know, kilo to pounds right. and gram, grams to ounces rather than to cups. Mm -hmm. Because when you're putting a food, say butter in a cup, how how thin are people slicing that cup to fill that cup? You know, your measurements mm -hmm. are never going to be spot on. I, so, I love cups for liquid mm -hmm. quantities. You know, if mm -hmm. you need one cup of water in the instant pot, you know, it's I use cups for that. That's I easy. With a lot of it, it can be a bit off. Well, I think that I don't know if I learned it from Elton Brown or who, but basically, you know, if you scoop your cup into the bag of flour, it's going to be a completely different weight or amount than if you would have poured it in or sifted it in. Um, it'd be like yeah. lighter and airier. So they say that the weight, if you measure your ingredients by weight, it's much more accurate. But yeah, American cookbooks will still use you know, a cup of this and a cup of that without always putting, I think with you, if you're adding weights and, you know, you, you kind of are covering all the bases, it seems though, with your recipes. So. Yeah, we try, we try to, you know, but there's always be somebody that'll come to you and say, I'm, I'm not happy. I, I wish it had this, you know, but you're trying to get everything you can mm -hmm. possibly can to keep <laughs> everyone happy. <laughs> right. And so then you're also probably including the terminology for, the different words So you said, um, uh, what do we call the purple, the purple vegetable <laughs> eggplant? What do you call it? Eggplant, uh, aubergine. Yes. So do you put both like otherwise known as eggplant? Yes, I do. But I tend to write more to, it depends on the recipe because I'm writing some recipes that are popular for a UK diet that I get mm. quite a lot of requests for. So in those, I don't really have a big emphasis on the American alternatives because okay. my American readers ain't going to search for them in Google. 
know, okay, right. You don't really want to make the same amount of effort, you know. But if um, I'm doing a recipe that's more an American audience, I'll always use the American terminology and then put in brackets what it is in the UK. Okay. So I'll write more for the American than I will for the UK that way around. That for example, sense. if I'm doing um, air fry zucchini burgers, you know, a Brit isn't going to search for zucchini burgers, but I'll put in brackets courgette, you know, so that they each know. And then there's certain slow cooker recipes that are just uh, unknown in the in America, but you're doing it for Google UK, and then you'll kind of mention what it's about and everything. Like for example, lamb, it's not very popular in America compared to how popular it is in the UK and in Australia. You know, so you don't really make much of an effort for exchanging mm-hmm. it into Imperial for those. Did you just say Google UK? Is there like specific Google for the different regions? Because I just know yes, Google. There <laughs> yes, there is. There is. You know, you've got Google.com, which is your main one. You've yes, got You've got google.com.au, which is Australia's, and google.ca, which is obviously Canada. What? Thank you for telling me about this because I, um, as a as an American, <laughs> I just <laughs> didn't know. But it makes sense, especially with the spelling being different. And then the search terms will probably come up with things that are more relevant for your region. Yes, very much so. And, you know, you can rank you know, from an SEO point of view, you can rank on all of them, you know, but, okay. you, you, but whatever you're writing for first is what you're more likely to get the best position for. Or let's say it's a high search volume keyword, you're more likely to be able to rank for it in somewhere like Canada than you are in uh, America. Did you say your son is also working with you and your husband on this business now? What are his roles? Oh, his roles. He's, um, whilst I call my husband head of technical, I call my son head of graphics because he makes the pretty Pinterest graphics with Canva. He Mm -hmm. also uh, does the video editing as well. Okay. He does a bit of admin or whatever I need him to do. You know, um, he's very good at Pinterest, you know, which for a guy, a young guy, he he gets (laughs) Pinterest, you know, he could you know, he could have a career for himself in Pinterest management if he wanted to because he's really good at it. But I don't think he'd ever do that. But, you know, he could mm-hmm. if he wanted to. What role, um, when do you use video? Are you doing video for marketing or like on Facebook or are you including, I don't see a video on this recipe. Are there videos on recipes? Yes, there is, but not on all of them. You know, we only started doing videos and taking videos seriously at the beginning of this year. Okay. You know, and obviously we've got more than a thousand recipes on our site. You know, you can't achieve all of them at once. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're up to just over a hundred videos now that we've got on YouTube. And once they go live on YouTube, we embed them in the post at the same time. You know, we're... We're ones that's obsessed with recycled content and repurposing content. So you created the content once. You don't want to waste that content. You know, so Kyle, our eldest, will make a shortened version of the video. He's been putting them on TikTok for us. Okay. YouTube shorts. And ridiculous how it sounds, but Pinterest um, story pins, or as they call them now, Pinterest ideas. 
wasn't is not available in Portugal. So we oh. just started yesterday okay. with the Pinterest idea pins. So the same ones that went on the shorts and the TikTok are now starting to be loaded up onto Pinterest as well. And it's a great way to reuse the, same, the exact same content. So what kind of uh, video content would you include on a video uh, or uh, embedded in with the recipe blog post? Okay, they're a bit longer, those ones, and they'll start with me talking and introducing the recipe. Then there'll be a call of action, such as um, join my mailing list, or you'll found, find a thousand plus kitchen gadget recipes at Recipe This. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into the hands and pans, you know, like what you see on other recipe videos where it's where somebody's kind of above you and you can see exactly what's going on with the recipe. Okay. Yep. They call them hands and pans in the um, technical terminology. That's what that's what a food blogger would call them to another food blogger is hands and pans. Hands and pans. All you can see is someone's hands and the pans, but obviously uh-huh. we're air fryer and instant pot, so there isn't actually technically any pans, but right. you get the idea. So you've got and a then, camera suspended above your or yeah, on a tripod yeah. or something pointing down over you? Yes. Yes, so it's my husband's um, iPhone, uh, iPhone 12, whatever. <laughs> ah, sorry, I don't understand. Right. That yep. <laughs> and um, and a tripod, and I'm doing the uh, video, and he's checking it to make sure that the right bit of the video is done. And then the video will end on a thanks for watching with a call of action to our social media channels, and that's the video. So smash Kyle that already, button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Cal will have the various video clips and he'll put them together for us, you know. So he's doing that from a hotel room at the moment. And that's Kyle's main roles. And then as well as Kyle, we have three full timers from the Philippines as well. And they're just virtual assistants. They do a bit of everything, you know, they're very useful, but at the same time, you know, they're kind of data entry style workers they're not like your pinterest managers kind of staff okay but what roles do they have then um various different things like let's say i want to do a five ingredient instant pot recipe roundup they can go through our site and tell me exactly which ones are five ingredients to save me looking through and scrolling through the site for hours to do it they'll do it for you (laughs) yes and let's say when you bring out a new blog post that you want it posted into various places, they do that kind of thing as well to save you a job. They find me podcasts to go on if that's what I want to do. You know, mm-hmm. they don't do that, but that's just an example of the kind of things that you can you can get them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my third one is actually more of a designer, and she's very good in Canva and Photoshop. And mm-hmm. she makes kind of the fancy recipe printables to go in um, online cookbooks. So does she have. and your son, Kyle, often work together? They, does he they pass kind things of do. Off? Yeah, they kind of do. They have different jobs. But mm-hmm. it's kind of that there's so much work graphic-wise that you need two of them really full-time. You know, I could really do with a third full-time, really. <laughs> Because yeah. of the amount that you want to achieve, you know, when you're running mm-hmm. a blog and you constantly want to do things. For example, Kyle's there doing the videos and Cleo, she does the um, the really nice thumbnails that you use on YouTube to make your videos look good. Yeah. So she does that. 
they take and time while yeah and whilst kyle edit our our podcast episode um cleo has made the art for the podcast episode so you know they I, kind of have similar jobs i don't know if i knew that you have a podcast what is it called recipe this <laughs> actually no 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 I said to her husband we spent a while talking about it saying we need a really good catchy one and I said three, three words max so that it stands out and it's called magic with gadgets okay so is it more the kitchen gadgets then yes it's a solo podcast just with myself speaking talking about the various different things to do with the kitchen gadget. I had the idea because I generated quite a few readers who were partially sighted or are blind. And oh, I just right. thought it was a great way for them to follow the recipes online without the videos because they were complaining about on YouTube videos that people just do these really fast cooking videos with music on and they can't understand or get their head around the recipe because there's no speaking. You ah. know, imagine a blind person podcast is brilliant for them. Absolutely. I'm so happy to hear that. And yeah, um, I just noticed that you do have some printables as well that are, I'm assuming free. So um, yeah. how to convert grams to cups, how to convert metric to imperial um, looks like a nice printable there. And then how to convert any recipe to the air fryer that just came out in September of 2020. I know a million people probably bought an air fryer in the u.s last year i don't know the number actually but uh, with the pandemic that was one of the big things that people were buying and learning about cooking um so do you think that your your blog post about that and your free printable helped uh push that or was that a response to people buying air fryers well you know you talk about how many people uh, are interested in them i remember looking and i think it was october last year uh, one million people that month just searched the word air fryer and that's without all the different terminology that people did yeah you know that that convert post is actually an update and it's been on our site a lot longer than that when people okay. are actually asking for quick cook times and mm -hmm. I found that things like that are a great a great way to show people how to do it they can join our newsletter when we have plenty more of those and it's always a reminder that I should do more, you know, because somebody's always asking for a certain type. And I'm always thinking I'm too busy with recipes. I need to make an effort to do more of these people. I, um, I think my husband's parents gave us an air fryer two or three years ago, but we didn't really use it for the first year. I don't think, I mean, maybe a couple of times, but I think in the past two years more, um, especially the last year and a half, we've definitely been air frying a lot. He loves to make traditional style chicken wings in it and just gobbles them up. That's his favorite. And it's so much. Um, one reason I like the air fryer is because it doesn't stink up the kitchen with the oils. Um, I hated the smell of him uh, frying in, in the pan with oil, um, especially if I had been pregnant, oh, it's just the, the worst smell and the air fryer doesn't bother me at all. Cause they're not using all the oil. It smells pretty good actually. So air frying is just like baked plus grilled and deep fried in one. <laughs> it is. It is. I think that the thing that, uh, one of our friends came around earlier and he's never had an air fryer and I've told him to wait until I've got another, um, 
sample one from one of the companies so then he doesn't have to pay for one you know yeah, yeah. and um, I he said to me because someone that's never tried one before and said oh it's quicker cooking time and that's all that he'd taken from all the adverts of people talking about them mm-hmm. whereas to me I find that it's the reduction of the oil and how crispy your food actually is with it yeah. and you know it's the quicker cooking time but you know it doesn't get as hot doesn't an air fryer to another it's like I was using an oven today for the first time in ages and I burnt the food because I'm not used to how hot an oven actually gets you know when you yeah. have out an oven you know it's a lot hotter compared to what an air fryer is you know so it doesn't take as long to cook something you know I just love how crispy it makes food with hardly any oil at all yeah, it's pretty fabulous. Um, I've sweet potato fries have been my thing that I like the most. Uh, my kids have been eating French fries and hash browns, so not always the most healthy choice. But um, do you do a lot of vegetables as well? Yes, we do. And you know, you talk about the frozen food as not being healthy, but there's still an improvement for the average family that is putting them in the deep fryer every day. That's like them going from the mm-hmm. deep fryer to oven baking them. It's still a yeah. better choice, you know. But of course, yes, you can do the ultra healthy things in there as well. I, I find love. That oh, go ahead. Frozen vegetables are absolutely fantastic in there. And the thing about mm. frozen vegetables to understand is that frozen vegetables, when they are frozen, you know, in the factory, they're at their absolute best and often yep. in a better condition compared to when you buy fruit and vegetables from a supermarket they've sprayed Mm. them with things to keep them to keep them in the supermarket for longer you know so you can actually do better off frozen vegetables cooking those I've heard the same thing about frozen fruits like they pick those blueberries and their strawberries at their absolute prime rather than having to transport them for days or weeks yeah yeah Um, the same the same rule also applies to tin tomatoes if you take tin tomatoes, not the ones that have had garlic and other things added, but the, mm-hmm. the plain diced or chopped or whatever you call them of mm-hmm. there, they are absolutely fantastic because they're picked at their absolute best as well. Right. Okay. So tinned to, uh, tomatoes would be canned tomatoes in yeah, canned tomatoes. Yeah. But not, not the uh, tomato sauce brands, you know, okay. you get because they often the ad- put sugar in, th- in them and things like that, but actual canned tomatoes are absolutely at the best and perfect for cooking with. Okay, so one of my favorite things that I grill, not grill, what do I do? I roast. I roast um, some vegetables. My mother-in-law has this recipe, and it's just, um, I think it's parsnips, carrots. I want to say Brussels sprouts, maybe broccoli, but not usually. Uh, maybe some small baby potatoes. And we, we cut them up and we, we roll them in a little bit of like olive oil and salt. And we lay them across uh, a baking sheet, so like a jelly roll pan. And we just roast them for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes or so. And the Brussels sprouts come out so sweet. Like they caramelize and they're just amazing. Can I caramelize Brussels sprouts in an air fryer? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the thing about the air fryer is because it's like it's like having a bad oven in a way. You know, like when you're in student digs and you've got that bad oven that cooks things from the top and doesn't cook them all around. 
yeah and until you get used to the oven and the way it cooks you're always going to burn your food do you just or take it out and shake it a couple of times and stick it back in yeah so i find i find that what you've got to do when you're cooking brussels sprouts for example is to either steam them first because it really helps speed up the cook time then mm-hmm. you know for example we will do zero minutes on brussels sprouts in the instant pot first and oh. drain them and toss them in some olive oil and then put them in the air fryer because otherwise the cook time is just so long because of the way it cooks from the top that whole size brussels sprouts just take too long but if you have mm-hmm. the brussels sprouts yeah then you could yes do it very much like you were doing it in the oven we we but do have them. about the size mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've never done a zero time on the Instapot. So basically all you do is you just let it get up to pressure. Yes. Yes. Oh. When you set the cook time on it, you know, like when you're pressing the buttons and you're pressing it up and let's say you're normally doing two minutes. Yeah. When you're going down to two minutes, it will allow you to set the time as zero. And you can do that for quite a few different things in the Instant Pot. My favorite Instant Pot frozen broccoli, you can load up the instant pot with frozen broccoli zero minutes and it's perfectly steamed broccoli after that zero minute i have an eight cup a quart an eight quart duo an instant pot duo yeah, i've got one of those so does it take about what 10 minutes to get up to pressure yes it's very quick with your vegetables because you're only putting in a cup of liquid Butter, in it yeah. to bring it to and you're not overfilling it when you're just steaming some vegetables. So it's very quick compared to a two-minute cook time for fresh vegetables in the Instant Pot. You can also use those little bags that are mixed up, you know, your carrots, broccoli, and cauliflower bags. You could put up a bag of that in for zero minutes as well. Um, and oh, yeah. a few other things you could do for zero minutes as well. But the, the most common is the frozen veg, something quick that you can do in the Instant Pot. I'm going to need to spend some time exploring your site. Um, I wanted to see, I, I learned recently that you can get, like, I have a steamer basket, um, but I've heard that people can even, like, cook multiple different things in the Instapot at the same time. Do you ever do that? Yes, yes. I've tried a few different things. What I don't like, which a lot of people plug, and a lot of bloggers are advertising, is a kind of a two or three in one, where it's, I don't know how to describe it. You know what it's like. We're not visual on a podcast. But yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's like three different containers that are made of stainless steel and mm-hmm. the proper fast and shut. So the problem there is that, they're not you steaming. know, because nothing's getting to them, they take yeah. a very long time to cook. Mm. And we have used them for, and if you look on our site for haggis, you will see us doing it for the traditional Burns Night uh, for Scotland's days, 25th of January. That's their special holiday. And we did it for that. And he was like, come on, please finish cooking. You know, the Instant Pot's mm. supposed to make things faster. And I know a lot of people use those. So I don't recommend that kind of gadget. That's what I was envisioning when I said it. So like something that would allow the steam yeah. and the air to move through. Like, so rather than closed steel containers it would have to be with holes and and air yeah. and steam what i going recommend through. if you look on our site we've got instant pot shepherd's pie mm-hmm. or instant pot cottage pie as i know how americans have their shepherd's pie um uh, 
is what you have instead is you know you put your meat in the bottom so imagine that you're sauteing your meat in a pan normally for making a shepherd's pie so your lamb your onion your carrot your peas etc so you're doing that in the bottom section of the instant pot and then what you do is you can use the trivets that come with the instant pot and you kind of stack that over the meat so that it creates a new level and then you add a steamer basket on top of that and okay. then on the one on top of that you have your sliced potatoes which can then be your, your traditional topping for your shepherd pie how do you, you get know, the so potatoes over the steamer basket because what you do is you've got you're using your trivet that comes with the instant pot at and you're placing over that over your meat mm-hmm. yeah and then what you're doing on top of the trivet is adding a traditional steamer basket that comes that you can get for the instant pot mm-hmm. and then on that traditional steamer basket you're adding your potatoes okay so into the basket the potatoes go yeah yeah so the I potatoes see. are going into the steamer basket so that when it's finished cooking your potatoes are ready to be mashed and your meat below is ready for serving. So it's oh, like, I like a, this. a lot less washing up to make a chef's pie compared to how many pans that you would normally use. And you can do that with several different recipes. For example, you could do a lamb shank with mashed potatoes in the same way. You know, there's so many different varieties. Popular thing in England is bangers and mash which is sausages uh, served over mashed potatoes with gravy. So you can do the sausages below and the mashed potatoes on top. And there's so many different recipes that you could do that with, you know. And you could, in fact, use a steamer basket. And the steamer basket could have some potatoes in it and it could have some vegetables in it if you wanted to do your meat, potato Mm -hmm. and veg together. So let me make sure I got that straight. So on the very bottom of the pot, you put the meat straight on the bottom with some liquid. Yes. And see, I I think when we made like a um, pulled pork recipe that I had the meat directly on the bottom and it was burning and I'd have to take the whole thing out and scrape the bottom. So you just make sure you have the liquid down first and then put the meat in. Yes. And then you You make sure there's enough meat, Mm -hmm. meat and liquid. So it'll go to pressure without it getting too thick because okay. if it gets too thick, then it's not going to go to pressure and you are going to burn the bottom of it. I, I found your shepherd's pie recipe on here. So yeah, that's, I will, I will look forward to looking at that because my husband has been really into shepherd's pie recently. And what is the difference between shepherd's pie and cottage pie in your opinion? Cottage pie is, I think, what Americans consider shepherd's pie to be. Because shepherd's pie is always cooked with lamb. Okay, yes. And we usually just use ground beef for beef. Yes. And cottage pie is made with beef. Because the idea is that shepherd's pie, the name shepherd's pie comes from the shepherds that are tending to their lamb. Of course. Okay. And cottage pie was always what the beef version was called in the old days when people couldn't afford sweet lamb that's why the cottage pie came into practice let's change gears and just talk a little bit about you working from home so you just moved from portugal to a new place uh do you have a office where everybody works together or is everyone just working in different parts of the house how does this work 
we're not fully set up yet because we've just moved in. We're working on mm-hmm. furniture and things. And Kyle's and in the hotel. Yes, Kyle's in the hotel. He's enjoying that because he's at he's at the airport and you know he's getting his breakfast and dinner served to his door. You know, <laughs> so he's getting all think of all your restaurant classics and they're all being delivered to his door. So nice. but I think he's had enough of burgers and chips every night. And sticky toffee pudding and that kind of thing. <laughs> or the brownies and ice cream. Well, at the moment, the, the long-term plan is that we've got a very small bedroom upstairs. And it's big enough for a bookcase, one desk, and maybe a bit of shelving. So that's going to be used for when we're recording podcasts. That's where I am right now. Okay. And it would be good for, I want to do some YouTube videos where my face is on on the screen mm-hmm. and then you can eventually get a nice background going so that it would be great for that and then as well as that we've got what they call in England a conservatory I know they don't have them in America but the kind of rooms that are often off the dining room or the kitchen and they've got a glass roof and they've yeah. got like windows all the way around them and they're just like kind of like an extra room like a, a bit like a sunroom but it's still attached to the house yeah, like a little so greenhouse right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've got that. And it's um, it's big enough to be able to stick a couple of office desks in there. So that'll be where myself and Dominic will work during the day when the kids are at school. Mm-hmm. And we've got the furniture coming for that tomorrow. You know, so it's, it's things are slowly coming together. And then your kitchen, obviously, is like the main event, right? Yes, it is. And We've always had really, really small, terrible kitchens for cooking in. And this one is absolutely huge. Oh, and it's wonderful. like I haven't filled all the kitchen cupboards yet. It's just so, so big. And that's next to our conservatory. So that means that we don't have to go far between working in the kitchen and then what's going to be our office. So what you're saying is that even if you have a small kind of crappy kitchen, you could still have a, a very successful recipe blog if you were so inclined yes yes oh, a good example is the youtubers there's a lot of youtubers from india that live in the slums of mumbai and they've got some of the smallest ugliest tiniest apartments that you've ever seen and you know you see their beautiful videos of their food and sometimes you'll see them doing the intro, you know, because it's all the thing about having your face on the video. So mm. they'll do their intro on a balcony, you know, uh, you know, and they'll do the behind the scenes and show you what their kitchen is actually like. And you just cannot believe it's the same kitchen. Wow. And I think there's always this thing about you must have the perfect looking kitchen. You must have the perfect looking office. But there's so many of them that are doing it like that. Okay, so basically videography, having a good angle and just keeping your your shots framed in correctly, it can hide a lot, right? Yes, it can. You know, before we moved to England, when we were in Portugal, we did all the videos from our dining room table because our kitchen just is not practical for it. Mm -hmm. We don't have the workspace in the right place to be able to do it. I just realized that my office door was open and in this, in the video screen. Um, but yesterday I was doing a focus mate session with someone. So I log into this website and basically two people are just working together side by side on camera like this for 50 minutes. 
And the lady came onto camera and obviously she was in an office setting and she looks at me and she's like, you look like you're in a closet. And I was like, you're right. (laughs) I am in a closet. So it is what it is. I mean, I have, you know, a podcast and I am in a closet. And at first I was like, should I be embarrassed? No, I'm not. I was able to make an office out of my closet and I did what I needed to do to get it done. Yeah. What's wrong with that? I don't see what's (laughs) wrong with that. You know, I think this, uh, we have this shiny product syndrome that's always been going on when people work from home, you know, and it's about that we must have the perfect background, we must have everything that's perfect. And I think that's what stops what's, uh, lots of future entrepreneurs from getting going because of that. There's uh, one entrepreneur that I've followed for a few years, and I must admit, I do start out of amusement because she's like, follows this business coach that's all about the looks and everything and you see that she spends more time dealing with the looks and that and the obsession with everything being perfect and hyping herself up into something that she's not than she actually does to actually get any work done and make any money you know and that's that's a big problem in the online world with the entrepreneurs it's like uh, six figures isn't good enough anymore you've got to earn for seven figures you know it's mm-hmm. always had that about it in the work from home industry which is right. sad really but it's just the way it's become mm-hmm. or to feel like you can't be on camera unless you are made up you know like <laughs> I mean I think that some people spend more time getting ready for recording a video than I did for getting ready for my own wedding <laughs> you know like, yeah. yeah I know what I you mean, mean I know what you mean it's like I, uh, I haven't been able to get a haircut uh, for a long time because of COVID. Me mm-hmm. and my daughter are finally booked in for our first haircut appointment in like a year and a half tomorrow. And the oh, rest yay. of the time, my hair is pulled back. You know, I don't know what's wrong with my hair. I'm sure it's the Portuguese weather, but no matter what I do, it always looks greasy. You know, I can <laughs> never make it look good. And I've never really been big on the makeup anyway because I wear glasses. Yeah, you know. Same. I don't see the point. Right. I I actually, I cut my own hair last year with my husband and it hasn't been cut in a year now. And it had been a year before that. So I haven't had a good haircut in over two years. So I'm I'm ready to do that. But yeah, we just took some bad scissors and we just cut it myself and it was better than nothing, (laughs) but uh, yeah, better than nothing. I like that. Mine's just grown really long because it's been like uh, two years since I last had mine cut. And I think that people, you know, I guess you're going to gravitate towards the people who are maybe more like you. So maybe the people who do take the extra time to look really professional and everything, they might have an audience that cares, but I don't know about you, but for me, I like seeing people who are everyday people in their own home, you know, not having to try to put on a show. I feel like I resonate with those people more and might actually be more inclined to even listen. Yeah. I think it's the the girl next door syndrome isn't it you know I, I I think that's probably because I've got an older audience as well that they like uh, they often say when I reply to an email oh you're a real person <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah like I'm not a robot or something uh do you have any advice for people who are thinking about working from home you have gone a different route than some people have you know the people who are working from the corporate office from home you know the um or what I'm trying the corporate job from home or the people who are you're more the entrepreneurial but you're doing it um you're doing more of the blogging and the social media and the recipes versus like selling a service 
Well, I do some service as well because we do have our own courses that people can buy that uh, okay. want that kind of thing. So we, we okay. kind of do a bit of everything. But yeah, we're more about the recipes than we are about the products. Even though we have the products, they're just an upgrade for what people want. But for us, I've always had that work from home thing because my parents were self-employed and I grew up uh, on the seaside in a popular English town and my parents had holiday flats so you know we had lots of people staying with us all the time in the summer season so Mm -hmm. I was always used to that working from home thing you know so for me it was it was never very difficult to do but I know for a lot of people it is and I'd say the hardest thing is to get the uh, work-life balance right setting yourself your hours that you're going to be working from home do you have any secrets? <laughs> I think I think the thing is, I, I have my job list like everybody else has the job list. But, you know, I always say because there's two of us working and we've got kids, if it's school holidays, you know, what we tend to do is we take it in turns for work days. You know, so when the kids were really small, I'd say this is my week's work. Next week, it's Dominic. And I would do Monday to Friday sometimes Monday to Sunday even to get my stuff done and then it'd be his turn so that I I think the focus thing is the most important thing that I think people struggle with it's the organized you know they get sidetracked you know you say there's one entrepreneur come blogger that I know and her business has gone downhill and it's because she spends too much time searching and watching people on Pinterest and Facebook and things when she should be focused and working you know so if you have your phone turned off while you're working you only look at your Facebook notifications on your lunch break Mm -hmm. I don't look at them at all during the day I just look at them on a night you know it's that kind of thing that can help you get more and more work done during the day Mm -hmm. so that you feel like you've achieved something. So you've been doing this basically your six-year-old their whole life right? Yes. And you've had little kids around. Did you find that you were able, I guess you weren't really recording videos until recently. So you didn't, it didn't really matter if they were loud. No, it wasn't. But we have done videos with them in the background before. Okay. And sometimes we let them talk and now they're getting a bit older. What tends to happen is that during, we'll do a video day. So we'll do 13 videos in one day. Normally it's when they've been to school. But when he hasn't, um, Kyle's just taking them up to his bedroom and they watch Harry Potter with him or something like that, you know, some Disney <laughs> films, some Toy Story or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I'll shout from the bottom of the stairs and say, here's some food. And they'll take a big batch of food upstairs <laughs> because we'd have done four or five different recipes. So they'll have really There's weird so much food, please food. eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's things like that. But that's how it's kind of rolled with the videos. But with everything else, it's been pretty easy. And when I'm cooking, my kids are there cooking with me. And considering that's a big part of the job, it doesn't matter. They don't need babysitting or anything. You know, Mm. it's only recently when we've been doing videos that Kyle's said, right, I'll take them out of the room for the day or whatever. But normally Mm. they've always been there. They've been, they haven't had TV for six weeks while we've been traveling. And they've just got TV back for the first (laughs) time this week. 
you know, so I was sat there at the dining table earlier on today doing my accounts while they're watching Peppa Pig, you know, so they're mm-hmm. quite happy. They're, they're very easy going and they're used to us working from home. So it's not a big deal. They're not, they're not hard work with us working from home. We can easily get our stuff done. So what I'm getting from what you're saying is that you've been able to work from home and be with the family almost the entire time. Your husband and you would just take turns, but you'd all be in the house at the same time. I'm thinking about some of the people who are thinking about working from home. And the very first thing they do is they go apply to like one of those call center jobs where they're required to lock the door, you know, and hire someone to watch their children for them the whole time that they're working. Um, you know, some of these companies are very strict and you have found a way to make an income and be with your family almost the whole time. Yeah. And to be honest, there is a lot of jobs where they wouldn't be required to lock themselves away. I mean, for example, everybody's looking for a Pinterest manager these days. (laughs) Yes. So for example, when I was working earlier on today, I was doing the accounts and they were watching TV you know, uh, they're in the kitchen cooking with me. My son is really into his food. He's four years old and he wants to learn how to cook. And he's got his own little chef knife. He'll be in there every time when I'm cooking. Whereas my daughter, who just cares about her food all the time, she'll only actually be in there if it's food that she really, really likes. And if it's either way, both- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's absolutely obsessed with the food. That's so great. Well, we have have talked for quite a while, so let's wrap it up. Do you have any advice for people who are thinking about working from home for the first time or who are looking at possibly having to make it a permanent thing, weighing their options? Well, I think the most important thing here is right now is to go with demand. And that is, that right now Pinterest managers is what's needed. You don't have to be in a locked room working in a call center. Pinterest managers, Instagram managers and such like are in demand. And with those kind of jobs, you can actually be doing them from your phone or from your tablet. You know, it's like, for example, I'm often hiring for an hour a day just to do promotions on Facebook. So there's plenty of options out there. You know, just look around and see what kind of jobs suits you best you know there's there's so many opportunities I mean when I first started working from home it was 2005 it was the beginning of the year I was in university and I just wanted a job that I could stay at home with my kid with I didn't want to put him in um, nursery I just wanted to be with him and what I actually did is I sold my rubbish on eBay because oh, yeah. eBay was the thing then. eBay, yeah. in early 2005, eBay was the thing, you know. And I remember what I actually sold. Don't laugh. It was actually the cabbage soup diet under a more sophisticated name. And it was a PDF. Before PDFs were a thing, before you had the Kindle and you had all these ebook opportunities. That's what I sold on eBay. So it's about seeing what's about right now and seeing how you can capitalize on it. It doesn't have to be a 40-hour slog doing admin assistant work. You know, there's so much choice. Were you were you selling a print of the PDF, like a physical copy, or were you selling a digital copy on eBay? Digital copy. So it was an attached PDF. So as soon as, I didn't as know as that as was possible. Came, yeah. 
That's how I used to do it. That's how I got started online. I, I did that. A very popular thing that I used to do as well was I was a huge fan of the British soap operas. They're not a thing in America, but, you know, uh, they were as popular as what Friends is popular to you, in other words. And, you know, they were a lot better than Days of Our Lives, put it that way. And um, I had loads of the old videos still. So what I used to do is people wanted these old episodes because you didn't have catch-up TV like you have now. Mm -hmm. So I used to um, make a copy of the tape for them and sell it to them. And because they were episodes that wasn't available anywhere else on the planet, they would pay top dollar for them. And you'd end up with bidding wars on eBay for them. Were you breaking any laws doing that? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. But they were only my old tapes. So, you know, people didn't care. And there were things that were originally shown on Australian TV, uh, kind of five or six years previous to when Mm -hmm. I was selling them. I think they were from episodes of Australian TV from 1993. And I'm selling them in 2005. So they're like antique. So they were in, in great demand. So that's, that's, how I, that's how I started out, you know. And, you know, there's always something that's in demand, you know. Um, I, uh, I, had a, I had a guy that just, what, just went on holiday a lot and he wanted his favourite TV recording. So he would pay me to record his TV for him whilst he was on holiday. I think that I you're onto something, though. Yeah. Yeah. And Find out what's in demand. Yeah, I was doing that when I was about 12 years old. I was doing oh, that. Oh, wow. So you weren't doing a paper out or dog seating. You were like recording people's shows for them. That's amazing. Yeah, I was. And at the time, um, you know, obviously inflation and everything, I was making about uh, $1,000 a month at the time. back, And that was kind of back in 1993, 1994 times. So on today's money, that's, that's decent cash. That 12 is... Year old. Very entrepreneurial of yourself there. You must have yeah. learned a few things from your parents. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's about it's about seeing what's in demand at the time. Pinterest is in demand right now, so is Instagram. But a lot of other things are, are not. You know, eBay, mm. it's past its best now. You know, people are people are still trying to make money on Kindle, but you're not going to make as much as you made from Kindle in 2015 because it's not as popular as it was yeah all right samantha i think we are done thank you so much for sharing this time with me it was nice to to meet you and i definitely am gonna try cutting my brussels sprouts in half and air frying them i am excited about this and shepherd's pie in the instapot and uh i think yeah we could all take a page out of that book about uh looking for what's in demand but where the market isn't saturated already right yeah exactly there's always something new it's like when the instant pot came about you know i had a list of 101 instant pot recipes i thought it was a great idea because people wanted a big list of instant pot recipes they could scroll through i was the first one to bring that out and so many people have copied that idea since and I turned it into an ebook, and that ebook's still a bestseller for us even now. You know, uh, four years after the original post actually happened. You know, oh wow! So it's just about demand. So you're selling the ebook, and you have some courses. Do you want to tell us where people can find you and your stuff? Yes, we're on recipethis.com. That's our main blog, 
and then you can navigate around there to access our courses we've got two courses with similar name learn your air fryer or learn your instant pot okay we've also got many shorter ebooks and like you mentioned earlier we've got plenty of printables for people that just want to know how to how long to cook certain popular foods in the air fryer and the instant pot very good well all right well let's call it thank you so much for sharing this time with me this has been april malone with samantha milner and yes i work from home we'll see you next time thank you